Amen. Well, we'll continue now in our time of worship by opening up the Word of God. And today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, verses um, 56, 57 through 68. So you can open up your Bibles or follow along in God's Word here together. Matthew 26, beginning at verse 57. And we are going to go ahead and read the Word of God uh, together this morning. And um, just like we've been doing over the past few weeks, we've actually been taking part in an ancient custom and tradition from the people of God, especially when it comes to reading the gospel in preparing for Easter. So if we're able, let's go ahead and stand and we will read from the gospel of Matthew 26, beginning at verse 57. Let's hear now with open ears and open hearts from the word of God. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look now, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your precious word. That sometimes is not easy to read, Lord, especially when we read of the suffering, Lord, that you went through on our behalf, God. You didn't have to, but you chose to, Lord. And for that, Lord, we praise you and we thank you. As was even prayed earlier, Lord, let our lives be living sacrifices, Lord, of praise and gratitude. Thank you, Lord, for this time that is um, a gift from you to be able to assemble and gather and worship, Lord. We thank you for your church here, Lord, in, in locally and internationally, Lord, that continues to be the spiritual body of Jesus present on earth today, Lord. And Lord, as we enter into this moment, this last night, these last few hours before the cross, Lord God, 
Would you just fill us with wonder, with curiosity, with awe, Lord, to how great you are, Lord, that you laid your life down for us, Lord. All glory and honor is yours. Meet us where we're at this morning, Lord, whether we're here in person or watching online, Lord. Meet us where we're at and take us where we need to be, Lord, to that next level, Lord. Help us, Lord God, to look to you, not just to ourselves. Instead of trying to obsess with fixing other people, situations, and circumstances, help us to fix our eyes and lock our eyes on you today, Jesus. Speak to us today in a way that is fresh, clear, and direct. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So as we've been saying these past several weeks, we've been in this uh, series uh, for Lent. Lent is the preparation for Easter. And we've been preparing our hearts and our minds for the glory, for the victory of Easter through reflecting on the last night of Jesus before taking the cross. We've been really um, looking at what these last moments were for our Lord Jesus Christ before he went on trial, before he took the cross, and before he died. Have you ever thought to yourself, if I just had 24 hours to live, what would I do? What would be my bucket list? What would be on my to-do or to-don't or, or, or not-to-do list? How exactly would you spend your last 24 hours on this earth? Many of us have asked ourselves that question and we get a glimpse into that in the life of our Lord Jesus in Matthew 26. We see exactly what Jesus did. He knew that his time was coming. He knew that he needed to fulfill his mission on the cross. And he knew that it was only a matter of time before his death. Over the past couple of weeks, we've actually been looking at what Jesus did in those final hours before the cross. We've actually used our imaginations to enter into that scenario, into that last night with Jesus. We've seen how on the last night before he died, Jesus actually took time to just show up, to show up to ordinary moments and make them eternal and holy moments. Jesus also chose to spend his last moments in prayer before God the Father, he spent time in solitude declaring to God, may, may your will, not my will, be done. And we also learned how Jesus spent time praying for you and for me. On the last night before taking the cross, Jesus was arrested. We, re we, we reflected on that together last week. That means that Jesus had to wait in his last moments. On the last night before his death, Jesus had to spend time, precious time, waiting on God. And Jesus finds strength on waiting on God because he knows that everything, every situation, and every person that he encounters, whether it's the deception of Judas or the distraction of Peter, all of those circumstances, they are really just middle management as we talked about last week, God's the boss. God is in charge. Jesus is waiting on the next steps from God the Father to fulfill his mission. Today, 
we see Jesus before the Sanhedrin. What was the Sanhedrin? It was actually a trial of sorts. It was a process. Imagine that on his last moments before his death, Jesus had to spend time waiting and Jesus had to spend time in trial, on trial going through a logistical administrative process. This was a procedure just hours before taking the cross. Jesus was under tremendous pressure from all around. But I'm so grateful that we see the, the, in these last moments that our Lord Jesus did not give in. He did not give up. But our Lord Jesus stood firm and He trusted God with all outcomes. In this time of trial, our Lord Jesus was strengthened and guided by God's integrity. And really, there's a definition for integrity that I, I like to use. Um, defin- uh, integrity is really alignment. Integrity is when we align our hearts and our minds with the heart and mind of God. Or to put it very simply, integrity is doing what needs to be done when it needs to be done. That's what integrity is, when we align our hearts and our minds with the heart and mind of God. And so integrity is what guided our Lord Jesus. Just one moment, let me get my notes here. They paused here for a second. And we can reflect on just that definition of integrity again doing what needs to be done when it needs to be done and aligning our hearts and our minds with the heart and the mind of God. That's what Jesus did in his final moments. And we see here in this passage that Jesus was guided by that, integrity, aligning his heart and mind with the heart and mind of God. And when integrity guides us, we are not easily swayed by what others think of us or expect of us. When integrity guides us, we are free. We are free. We are free not just from what others think. We're actually more free to do for others of uh, to do for others despite of what others may think you know that's one of the amazing things right like if i'm so caught up and i'm so caught, uh, concerned with what y- what you think of me i may not do what's best for thee right if i'm so caught up with what you think of me i may not do what's best for thee sometimes what's best is Having that hard conversation is giving that motivation, is giving that encouragement instead of withholding that because I'm afraid what someone else thinks of me. Jesus knew he was on trial before people of authority and people of influence, but Jesus didn't pay any attention to who people were based on their titles or based on their celebrity status. Jesus was not easily starstruck. I don't know if any of you have ever seen a famous person um, or a celebrity somewhere. Some of us get starstruck, some of us don't. You know, today the Academy Awards are going to be taking place just three hours south from here. 
And Jesus was not the type to be obsessing over a selfie with a movie star or with a social media influencer. In fact, Jesus was not easily swayed or influenced by powerful people and powerful positions. Jesus was so rooted and grounded, he was anchored to integrity. That means that he wasn't easily convinced or influenced by the pressure of others. And in Jesus' day, just like today, there were so-called celebrities. There were other teachers of influence. There were even religious celebrities. But Jesus wasn't concerned with that. There were some that were concerned with how many followers they had. Or to put it in today's digital social media language, there were those that were concerned by how many followers or how many likes that they had. But Jesus was completely free of all of this. Jesus refused to bow down and to give in to pressure. Who here has ever been in a situation or a season that is just full of pressure? Where you feel pressure internally and pressure externally all around. That's what Jesus felt in this moment on being on trial. There were threats and acts of violence upon Jesus. And, and it's sometimes difficult to read those parts of the Bible. But the Bible actually addresses violence and actually reminds us that pride will lead to self-destruction. Pride and extreme, it leads to, to self-destruction. When someone is filled with pride, that leads to hurting myself and to hurting others. This extreme pride leads um, toward hurting others. When a person tries to convince themselves that they are superhuman, then they will begin to think of others as less than human. And we see exa examples of that all the time, whether it's in the, in the workplace or locally or internationally or news. Those placing Jesus on trial are abusing him. And they were all filled with pride, and they delighted in humiliating Jesus. Yet they were in for a surprise. They thought they were going to get the, the last laugh, the last win on this. But there was so much more that God was up to. Let's read about that here in verses 62 to 64 of Matthew 26. It says this. It says, Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. 
Jesus, our Lord, the Messiah, here he is making the claim to be God. God in the flesh, God incarnate. He's right in front of them and yet people are refusing to listen. Verse 63 tells us that Jesus, when being accused, when being yelled at, Jesus remained silent. What does this remind us of? What does this tell us? It reminds us that when we are being accused, yelled at falsely, we don't need to obsess with defending ourselves because we have a defender. We have someone that is on our side, that is advocating on our behalf. As it says in Psalm 37, 25, I have been young and I have been old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken. Friends, brothers, sisters, this is the mark of real faith. Trusting in God no matter what. No matter what trial we may be going through. Trusting in God and being still. Being silent when necessary. And knowing that God is God. God is God. Be silent. Stop arguing. Stop fighting. Stop debating in your head. Instead, start trusting. Start abiding. And Jesus will be your comfort, will be your guide in any, any trial, any challenge that you may be experiencing. Jesus had that only comfort through God, through the presence, power, and promises of God on his trial here. Again, Jesus, while on trial, is completely surrendered to God. He is surrendered to God, and being surrendered to God actually frees us. So whenever we feel those times of trial, those times of pressure internally and externally, the next right step, the next right action, just like our Lord Jesus here does, the next right action is surrender. Because surrender to God frees us from the fear of men. Surrender to God frees us from the fear of human beings. What can they do to us, really? Surrender to God frees us from fear of circumstances that are completely out of our control. Surrender leads to freedom. As God's people, we're created to be free. Free from bondage, free from guilt, free from bowing down to idols. As God's people, we will worship, we will trust and we will never bow down to fear or to any lesser God because we trust in the living God, the one who is able, the one who will come through, even if he doesn't do things our way or deliver us in the way that we want, we will continue to trust God, not because of what he does, but because of who God is. And who is God? 
the God that we worship, the God that is with us in all times of trial. God is good. God is faithful. God is trustworthy now and always. He's been faithful, good, and trustworthy before. He will be faithful, good, and trustworthy again. That's who we place our hope in. And this is not just some nice idea or a thought, but we trust in a living God who is with us and who is for us no matter what. Here in this trial, there was really no doubt. There was no doubt in the mind of Jesus of God's power to save him. As, as he said, in the, pre- in the previous verses, he says when he was arrested, I can command legions of angels to rescue me at any point. Yet in this time of trial, our Lord Jesus trusted God. He was still, he was silent, he trusted God, and he placed all of his weight down on who God is. Not just on what God can do, but on who God is is we see here in verse 67 to 68 we see how after jesus responds in this way the those placing him on trial respond with with pride and aggression verse 67 and 68 says this that then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists others slapped him and said prophesy to us messiah who hit you What do we see here? The attitude from the Sanhedrin, the attitude from those that are placing Jesus on trial, it's again, it's an attitude full of pride. And pride creates a pathway to sin and to violence. Yet all of that, all of that sin, all of that violence, it all starts with the attitude of pride. What is that attitude of pride? It's when we convince ourselves that my plan is better than God's plan. This attitude of pride is the attitude that says, my will be done, not your will, God. It all starts with an attitude. Then that attitude of pride turns into prideful words, then acts of violence. Jesus Here is the living representative of the upside-down kingdom of God, a kingdom that is not built on pride, but a kingdom built on humility before God. This is the trial that we are reading about in this passage, but it's not the kind of trial that everyone assumes. The trial on the last night before the cross is actually a showdown between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of humanity. Just like our brother Al was saying this morning, I loved that analogy of the Super Bowl, the the challenges, the showdown, right? Between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the principalities, the the kingdom of darkness. That's what we see happening here on this trial a showdown between God's kingdom and the kingdom of humanity. You know what we see throughout the scriptures, and for um, those of us who have um, really just studied some of the history of God's people, 
one thing that we see is that empires have come and have gone. And yet the kingdom of God remains. Empires come and go. Big things come and go. But the kingdom of God remains. You know, I know that for us, it is very challenging as it should be to just begin to wrap our heads around the current war between Russia, Ukraine, and again, very um, challenging and overwhelming to think of possible NATO and Western engagement with that conflict. And the Bible calls us to grieve with those who grieve. So together as a church, we're committed to that. We grieve with those who grieve, we pray, we stand, we care, and we entrust all things into the hands of God. But one thing that we see in the scriptures is that battles over territory and struggles between nations and human empires, those things are not new to God. God has actually navigated and entered into all of that scary human messiness before. And guess what? God was faithful before and God will be faithful once again. He can be trusted. In the scriptures alone, we learn of several battles over empire, several showdowns between the kingdom of God and the empires of humanity. Just to name a few, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we see that there were the empires of Egypt, of Babylon, of Rome, and so on. But all of those kingdoms came and they went. All of those kingdoms are now gone. But the kingdom of God remains. In fact, maybe some of you have actually seen before um, in different parts of the world. You know, I've had the chance to be able to go to Rome to see where the pinnacle of the Roman Empire was. And you know what it is now? It's just remains. It's just dust. It's just destruction. It's gone. But the kingdom of God remains the power of God at work through the unlikely that's the way that the kingdom of God works God leverages weakness for power and again we see how God has navigated this throughout history and throughout the scriptures in ancient Egypt there was a leader his name was Pharaoh and this Pharaoh challenged the God of the Israelites and yet Pharaoh was defeated by slaves in Exodus. God leverages weakness for power. Then we also see in the scriptures that Goliath, this giant Philistine warrior, he was destroyed and humbled by the hands of David, a young shepherd. And we see in the book of Daniel, this other king in the empire of Babylon, his name was Nebuchadnezzar. He was full of pride and he built a giant golden statue for himself. And this same king was humbled by Daniel and his friends who were faithful to their God. God uses what seems weak to overturn the powers of this world. And then here, in this part of the Bible, 
In the New Testament, it was all under the reign of the Roman Empire. There was an emperor of Rome called Caesar, and he was ultimately the one who was in charge of this trial that Jesus was in. Pontius Pilate had authority over the Sanhedrin who were conducting this trial, and Pilate was under the authority of Caesar. Caesar was someone who was very proud. He thought he was a a God in the flesh, a human God. He delighted in violence. He delighted in death daily in the Roman Colosseum. He was actually the one who called himself Lord. By the way, that was a phrase back in those days in the, when the New Testament was, was written. People would greet each other and would say, Caesar is Lord. But the people of God turned that on its head and said, no, Jesus is Lord. Now we're so used to that phrase, but that's where it came from. Caesar was the one who actually had the power of life and death all within his thumbs. Some of you know about this, right? That That's how it worked in the Colosseum. If Caesar's thumbs were up, that that, that allowed someone to live. If Caesar's thumb was down, that meant a death sentence. And it's kind of funny, isn't it? That before this symbol, up or down, used to have the power of life and death. And now in our day, it's just an emoji, right? To just say like, okay, sure. (laughs) But this symbol from one man used to mean so much. This once great Caesar, he here on this trial challenged the Lord God in a match. But ultimately, Caesar was defeated by a humble carpenter from Nazareth. And today, in 2022, Caesar is gone and Jesus is Lord. And the sign of Jesus on the cross, that used to be a sign of failure. But now it is the sign of victory and hope for all of humanity. That's what our God does. He leverages weakness and he uses it for strength. Our God, the God of the angels, humbles the proud And he defeats the proud through what seems like weakness and powerlessness. That's the power of God at work. When we are weak, he is strong. Right now, many of us are confronting some of our own weaknesses. But friends, brothers, sisters, remember that God will leverage that weakness for strength. So don't do the natural instinct thing. The natural human instinct thing is to run away from our weaknesses. But instead, through this victory that we have in Christ, may we learn to name our weaknesses and to embrace our limitations and give them all to God. He will turn that apparent weakness into strength. He will turn that vulnerability into something beyond what you could think of or imagine. As it says here in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 9 to 11, we can um, put, put it on the projector please and open it up in our Bibles. 2 Corinthians 
uh, 12, 9 to 11, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And friends, brothers, sisters, I just want to encourage you, the next time you feel that you're on trial, the next time you feel the pressure internally and externally and all around, remember this prayer. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God's going to use that test for a testimony. Right now, you can't imagine what you can go through or what kind of trials you can withstand with God's power because God's power is so much beyond your own power. God's power will carry you through and give you grace and give you strength and the endurance that you need. God will give you the power and the ability to go through any trial. Some trials that some of us have been experiencing in our lives are, are the types of trials that we're not just going to get over them by busying ourselves or by forgetting about it. But with Christ at the center and community around you, with God's power, with God's presence, with God's promises, you will get through the trial. But not just on your own. That weakness, that vulnerability, that limitation, give it to God and see Him do something new. I want you to hear this. You will get through this season. You will get to through this time that seems like it will never end. But not by your own power, not by your own ability, but by God's grace and by God's power we shall endure. These are examples of God's promises, of God's presence with us in times and in, and in trials that we may be experiencing. That presence of God can come through a familiar face or a familiar voice or a familiar verse. And I know that in my life, you've all been that for each other. And you've even been that for me before. You've reminded me of God's promises, of God's presence in my life. And my prayer is that may we, in this season that we're going through, may we do that for one another as well. In this season of uncertainty, of frustration, of unknown, remember, we have the power, presence, and promises of God to hold on to. When everything else seems to be slipping away or unsure or uncertain, we have one another. We have these services of worship every single Sunday without fail to remind us of this, to remind each other of God's presence and power in our lives. 
We have midweek and small group discipleship and life together. May we receive our life together as a community as once again God's promised presence. God's presence with us in times of trial and in times of trouble. He is with us. He is for us. And He will take us through. Sometimes the only way through a trial is actually that way. Not around, not a running away, but going through something with God. He will take us through. And on this journey, let's pay attention. Let's pay attention to those moments confirming that God is with us and that God will see us through. He will be in the trial right there with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And yes, the tactics of the enemy will always be the three D's. Distraction, deception, and discouragement. But the gift of God in all times of trial are the three P's. The power of God, the presence of God, and the promises of God. May we enter into those promises today and in this season. Let's pray. God, thank you that you never leave us and you never forsake us, Lord. You are for us, you carry us, you see us through all times and all seasons, all trials and all tribulations, Lord. Just like our Lord Jesus, Lord, did not give in, did not give up, he stood firm and he trusted in you, Lord, Father. May we be able to stand and do the same. You are the God of the vulnerable, the God of the marginalized, and Lord, would you meet us here in our confusion, in our restlessness, in our weeping, in all the feelings that we are feeling, Lord, would you lead us closer to you? You, God, are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the one who has created a way out, a way back, no matter what challenge or situation we feel that we're in, Lord. Your presence is our home and we belong to you. Today, Lord, we trust and we declare that you hold us in your hands, God. Help us, Lord, to never let go of the hand that will never, ever let go of us, God. Lord, help us to rest on your promises. Help us, Lord, to rely on your power. And help us, Lord God, to be comforted in your presence. Now and always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.